Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Joseph Reed. So Joseph Reed writes uh, thrillers uh, that are set uh, around airplanes and other things that fly, airports and other places where flying things and people who want to fly gather. And he's a pretty interesting guy. We had a cool conversation. I I think you're going to like it. Before we get to talking to uh, Joseph, I, I need to remind you that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and dirtier end of the spectrum. If you like that kind of thing, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. Uh, so I talked to uh, Joseph, and uh, as is frequently the case with guests, you know, uh, that I haven't met before, uh, almost every single time just uh, really hit it off pretty quick and end up liking him immediately. And uh, he was certainly in that category. Had a great time talking to him and uh, look forward to catching up at a conference, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, he has a, an interesting protagonist, uh, an interesting series premise, and some pretty exciting books to talk about, uh, as well as some interests that uh, you might not expect from somebody writing the kind of books I just described. Uh, so let's meet Joseph Reed. Uh, well, hello, Joseph. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so you have an interesting bio. Uh, of course, I say that to just about every guest because everybody's story is different and, and, and such. But you make mention of the fact that uh, for a long time growing up, you you had as many moves as you did years on the planet. Uh, why was that? Uh, my dad was a Navy pilot for a long time. And so we moved around with that. And then once he finally got out of the service, he was a management consultant. And so we kept moving. Uh, so yeah, my, my number of moves kept up with my age for, for a good bit there. Well, I saw Top Gun, so I'm pretty sure your dad was a naval aviator. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He flew helicopters. Um, so he would, he, if he were here, he would make fun of all the jet pilots, but that's, oh, that's, um, funny. that's a, a whole separate story. <laughs> Uh, and during one of those moves as a parting gift from uh, your, I believe it was your kindergarten class, you got a book on sharks and you wrote that that yeah. really like spurred a lifelong uh, obsession, passion, love affair. How would you phrase it? Yeah, all of those. I mean, I I said about being a shark scientist, you know, from about the time I was in kindergarten, that was that was always my goal. An ichthyologist? Um, yeah, that's what Is I that what they call that? Yeah. Yeah, marine biologist, ichthyologist. Yeah, um, and so I—that's what I, I worked for in high school. It's what I studied in college, and then uh, I went to grad school. Uh, ended up instead of getting a PhD, I got my master's uh, in physiology, and then ended up going to law school. But, but yeah, until then, um, you know, so for the first uh, twenty-four years of my life, that's what I was pretty much solely focused on. Well, I still have whiplash because. A degree in physiology after wanting to be a marine biologist and you became a lawyer. That's a bit of a left turn. Well, the way I always describe it is, see, I wanted to study sharks and then I went to law school. Um, so that that that's the convenient lawyer shark uh, joke. Well, coming from a former cop, uh, I can tell you that you could get a lot of mileage with that, with that joke in certain circles. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, so but, uh, what kind of lawyer were you? Uh, so I still am. Uh, I'm a patent litigator. So I do high tech cases for tech companies uh, on you know computers, cell phones, um, you know all kinds of 
all kinds of technical devices um, in a variety of industries. So if somebody comes along and makes the e-phone, that's a knockoff of the yes. iPhone, you'd be the one that would be litigating that patent. That's the kind of thing we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can help people get patents if they're inventors. Um, if their patents get stolen or infringed, I can help them sue and, and hopefully get damages. And if somebody's been wrongly accused of using a patent or infringing a patent, I can help defend them. So that, that's basically what I do as my day job. Hmm. Well, in your travels, uh, both uh, as a kid and as a student and as a lawyer, and uh, you said you spent a lot of time at airports. Uh, is that is that because of all the litigation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I flew a bunch with my dad, but um, but yeah, once once I became a professional and I was a lawyer, uh, yeah, I've just I've traveled literally all over the world for work, mm-hmm. and so um, you know, before COVID times, I was you know I was flying two, three, four times a month. Uh, mostly inside the U.S., but but sometimes internationally. So so that gets me to a lot of different airplanes and a lot of different airports. I got a taste of that after I retired. I was teaching uh, police leadership all over the U.S. and Canada, and you know, fly out on Sunday, fly home on Friday, sort of thing. And and there's really an interesting ecosystem, really, and, and a culture that exists <laughs> in airports in general. But do you notice as well that it's it varies by airport? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Every airport is different. And then I think there's, I think there's different groups of travelers. Uh, I mm-hmm. think there's sort of the regulars, like you were saying, who, mm-hmm. who are doing it every week, you know, or every month and, and have their little routine down. They know exactly what they want to do. And, and you can kind of spot them a mile away and, and you sort of make eye contact with them and nod, you know, we've each got our little system. And then there are the, the sort of people who are just, you know, flying for the holidays or flying for, you know, leisure. And they're on a very different schedule, and you can tell that they're doing things differently. Uh, and so you, you end up with these sort of different groups, um, you know, floating through the airport and, and mingling. Yeah, you definitely you become a little bit of a rock star traveler after a while. You figure out all the little things that make it far more bearable. But uh, uh, I guess then it's fitting that uh, your protagonist, Seth Walker, is an air marshal. Yeah, that's uh, you know when I was thinking about the series before before I wrote the first book, I really wanted to try and find a unique setting for him, and and so many series are based in a particular city, right? Like John Sanford has you know Minneapolis, St. Paul, Michael Connelly has Los Angeles, and so uh, as I sat around thinking about it, um, you know, the the place I knew best and, and could write about the most effectively you know, was essentially aviation. And, and as I started to play with that, I started to think about, you know, number one, all the different things that can happen in and around airports and airplanes. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of different causes for drama there and action there. Um, and then I started to ask myself, well, who would be the law enforcement equivalent um, that you drop into this, into this world? And so Seth is, Seth is a converted air marshal. He's, He's still technically an air marshal and he works for the air marshal service, but they've made him an investigator, um, which is a convenient little cheat so that I can have him look into crimes and do things that, that might not just be sort of, you know, sitting on planes waiting for terrorists to strike or something like that. Mm-hmm. Gives you a little more latitude when it comes to assignments. Right. Exactly. Well, and that comes into play in your first book uh, because he, he gets a kind of an odd assignment. Right. Takeoff centers around him being assigned to bodyguard uh, a young teenage pop singer. Like if you think of a uh, Taylor Swift or a, a Britney Spears type, um, he's got to uh, just babysit her from JFK in New York 
out to LAX in Los Angeles. So they fly this cross-country flight, and when they get to LAX, uh, they get ambushed by a mysterious band of gunmen and have to go on the run. And that's basically the the story of that book is how he tries to keep her safe and figure out who's trying to kill her. Did you delve into jurisdictional things at all in the book, or did you kind of just play fast and loose with that? Uh, it's mostly fast and loose in in takeoff because he's he's sort of rogue on his own, just keeping her safe. Uh, the FBI gets involved because it's a high profile kidnapping and it's across state lines and things like that. But but in general, he's off sort of doing his own thing. Um, in the second book, uh, which is called False Horizon, there's an airplane crash at the start of the book. And there you do have uh, a bit of a jurisdictional turf war between the FBI gets involved um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Seth is brought in as sort of a, a government liaison to the Air Marshal Service and, and to help investigate these things. You've got local uh, police, which in this case is like the county sheriff kind of uh, equivalent. Um, so you get different groups of law enforcement having to work together. At not necessarily all being on the same page or having the same goal. Well, that's complete fiction that never happens in real life. <laughs> from from everything I've heard, yes, it, I had to, I had the stretch to to make it all up. Um, how about departure? So departure is the third book. Uh, it just came out a couple of months ago, and this is a missing persons case. So this is uh, sort of the the novel equivalent of the old mystery of, of uh, you know, somebody being killed in a locked room. In this case, uh, a VIP has gone missing inside San Francisco's SFO airport. And so if you think about an airport, right, it's, it's probably got more cameras than any place other than a Las Vegas casino. And so you, you have to ask yourself how or why uh, would someone go missing inside an airport once they've already checked in for their flight? And what could they possibly be up to or be the victim of? Uh, and so Seth has to go in uh, in sort of an emergency situation and help the, the local authorities sniff out what has happened to this VIP and why he may have disappeared. So you've got a pretty wide range of, I mean, it's not, you're, you're not playing the same note over and over again with these scenarios at all. Yeah, that was, that was really by design. You know, I, I've read enough series where you sort of get out to book four, book five, and it's, you know, sort of serial killer, you know, of the year um, in the same city. And, and at a certain point, I think in the back of your head as a reader, you ask, well, geez, I, or you, know, you say to yourself, geez, I never want to live in that city. It's full of serial killers, right? <laughs> or, or you say to the cop, like, why don't you move? You know, for, for Seth, because he's around aviation and because there are all these different opportunities, yeah, I very much wanted the series to change um, book to book so that he can do a bodyguard case. He can do a missing persons case. Um, you know, he can do a plane crash and, and have it you know stay fresh. It's still a Seth Walker adventure and, and all the things that he sort of brings with him into the book. Uh, but the kind of case is different. The challenges it presents are different. And so hopefully that, that keeps it a little more exciting. And all of these are, are post 9-11, right? They're not historical. So you're dealing with all of the things that go on in an airport that were uh, changes for some of us and the only thing some people have ever known. Right, right. Yeah, all of this is set post 9-11 with, with heavy-duty security. And, and you see that really in, in departure, uh, right? The, the VIP has checked in, um, you know, gone through screen, uh, TSA screening and all that. And, you know, he, he's in a modern-day 
you know, videotaped airport um, where everything is, you know, sort of monitored by cameras. Um, and, and they're able to sort of monitor the or, or go back and recreate the VIPs movements from place to place using the video cameras. And so, you know, what Seth ends up doing for a, a chunk of the book is, is sort of running through the airport as as he's being told which way to go uh, to sort of re- literally retrace the steps of this VIP as they figure out where he might have gone. You bring up an interesting point with the uh, repetition of of events happening uh, in a series. I mean, maybe one air marshal wouldn't have all these adventures, but it's not unrealistic that these adventures would occur. Right. Yeah. So I'm being the the sort of techno lawyer I am. Technology sort of works its way into my books, and so both in terms of the the trouble Seth gets into, and then. The technology in the books, uh, you know, I, I do try to bring a real focus on making it real world plausible, uh, right? It may be it may be cutting edge. It may be the kind of thing that they're working on for you know, say tomorrow or this afternoon, rather than right this minute. Um, but all of it is actual real stuff. And then yeah, the the aviation stuff and the um, the the crimes in and around aviation are all you know real life threats. Um, you know, you can see on the on the cover, of, for example, of False Horizon. Um, you know, there's a bunch of drones mm-hmm. uh, on the cover, and you know, not too long after that book was published, uh, you know, there was uh, in the Middle East there was a drone attack on uh, a field of oil wells, um, which is not actually that dramatically different than uh, some of the scenes in that book because you've got eco terrorists going around and using drones to attack fracking sites in West Virginia. Um, which is one of the one of the distractions and one of the mysteries um, Seth has to poke poke his way through to investigate the plane crash. Um, so yeah, I, I try and take stuff right from the headlines, you know, stuff that's really current day, uh, so that it feels real. You obviously take it to a dramatic level because of the timing and the pacing, and that it happens all to one person. But but other than that, yeah, you try and make it as believable as possible. Yeah, when I was looking at your covers, the the first and third have some pretty cool airplane uh, images. Uh, but initially, I thought it was a, a fleet of helicopters, and I was like, "Wait a minute, those are drones." <laughs> yep. Who is Seth? Uh, what can people expect when they read him? And does he change over the course of the three books that are out so far? Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, I hope he changes. That that's the plan. So Seth is, you know, this this sort of oddball air marshal, in the sense that he came to it from a, a former life as an electrical engineer. Um, I work with a lot of electrical engineers in my day job as a, as a patent lawyer. And so I sort of work those details in. And he's got a, a little bit of a backstory about why he left a successful job uh, as an executive at an electronics company. That sort of gets flushed out a bit in Departure um, as you read through. There's a, there's a dual plot line that flashes back to some of his backstory and explains some of that. But you know he's he's become an air marshal um, for for reasons that I won't get into if you're going to read the books. But but as he does this job, you know he brings a very uh, I think unique uh, viewpoint to this career. Where uh, and, and this is something I see in my day job. Where you know I used to be a biologist, and so when I walk into a room or when I face a problem, I, I sort of approach it like a biologist would. You know, I think about you know, cells and blood and genes and things like that. The engineers I work with, they walk into a room and they look at a wall and they think about wiring and ducting and um, all kinds of things that I just don't as a biologist. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. 
And yeah. so, um, you know, would will Wi-Fi signals penetrate this wall? I mean, things I never yeah. would conceive of. And so, so that's kind of the that's kind of the the attitude or the the experience Seth brings in. He, he brings in this techno perspective um, that helps him, you know, in in a lot of cases, uh, you know, work through these problems or these mysteries in, in sort of a different way. And in addition to it, uh, just as an extra wrinkle. Uh, he's got a little bit of a condition. He's got a, a brain condition where his brain is so active, it runs so fast um, that he needs to kind of be listening to something in his ear all the time, uh, unless he's got adrenaline pumping and he, he can be really focused. And that that's a bit of a takeoff on uh, things that are, that are real conditions or real symptoms where, um, I don't know, do, do you listen to music when you do work? Uh, yeah, I can listen to pretty much anything while I'm editing, but I can only listen to instrumental when I'm writing. Okay. So, so interesting story. So one of the reasons for that is your brain only has uh, one vocal center. Um, so it's able to concentrate on one set of words at a time. Um, but the different regions in your brain um, can, can multitask. They can process different sort of stimuli at different times. And so you know, a lot of us, I think, listen to music or, or can have white noise in the background. And what that does is it distracts certain parts of our brain and lets the other parts of our brain focus a little bit um, mm -hmm. with some neurotransmitters. Seth kind of has that on overdrive, where if he's not actively listening to something, his brain can kind of spin off into a million different directions and, and render him essentially a vegetable. So um, he's he's always got an earpiece in. Um, and is sort of processing through stuff, uh, unless, like I said, he's under the influence of adrenaline because he's, you know, uh, in a shootout or something like that where he can focus. That's just another little dramatic effect where, um, you know, sometimes it helps him, right? He can do his research sort of on the fly as he goes. Um, but at the same time, it, it's sort of a, an Achilles heel too. It can, it can get in his way. Um, there've been times where his brain's acted up at just the wrong time and gotten him in trouble. So. Um, it can be both a, a superpower and a, a bit of a weakness at the same time. Which is exactly what those things should be, I think. Sword cuts both ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So will there be another uh, Seth Walker? Uh, sure hope so. Uh, you know, that's that's a bit up to the readers and the publisher. Um, you know, we we just got departure out into the world and we need to see how it's going to go. But um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to write more Seth. Um, he's a lot of fun and and there's certainly lots of adventures and trouble uh, I still have planned that he can get up to if, if readers want to read about it. Well, that's always good to have those ideas uh, ready to hit the page. Yeah, we've we've got our fingers crossed. Uh, well, the series is the Seth Walker Air Marshal series by Joseph Reed. The first one is Takeoff, the most recent departure available now uh, from Thomas and Mercer, I believe. Exactly. So I imagine going to Amazon would be a good place to get these books. Right. Yeah. You can buy them on Amazon. They're also available through any platform. And, and if people go to my website, they can also find links to IndieBound and all the, the various channels that people like to use. Uh, well, Joe, before we go, uh, one last question for you. You were fascinated by sharks forever. Uh, what is the coolest thing about sharks that people should know? Or what was the coolest thing about sharks to you? Oh, man, that's a that's a really hard one because there's so many. Um, in my newsletter, I do a monthly newsletter for my readers. And actually, I do a, a little shark report at the end of every month. And it's, it's little tidbits or facts that you might not know or, or little bits of ongoing research that you, know, you might not have heard about in the news. Um, cause there's so much, there's so much cool to know about sharks. 
Well, uh, I will avoid making a lawyer joke on, on the tail of that. And I will say, Joe, that I do appreciate you coming on the show. And it's been really fun to talk with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, there you go. Joseph Reed, like I told you, interesting stuff. Uh, uh, check out his books and uh, feel free to email him with any of your shark questions. <laughs> All right, next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime, we are going to talk to T.G. Wolf. Uh, one of the interesting things that she does is uh, a podcast uh, that is a storytelling podcast that she collaborates on with her son, who's very musical. A quick Zafiro update for you. Uh, nothing new to report. Just want to remind you that the short story collection Sugar Got Low, it's out there. It's available for you. 13 short stories. And also a reminder that the uh, third season of A Grifter Song is alive and going well. Uh, we've seen the rule of thirds from Matt Phillips. And now uh, this month's release, The Down and Out by Larry Maddox. And we'll be moving into Jonathan Brown's Travel Money when March rolls around. Uh, Jonathan will be on the show to talk about that, in fact. Uh, so that's what's going on in my world. I hope it's pleasant in yours. I want to say thanks to Joseph for coming on the show, Down Out Books for sponsoring it, and you for doing the most important part, and that is listening to it. I really appreciate that. Please hit uh, like and subscribe and recommend and all the things that uh, help grow podcasts. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And I know that the uh, authors who come on the show really appreciate it if you, uh, if you check out their work and see if it's something you're interested in. T.G. Wolf on the next episode. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>